it's not just a benefit for those out of work. Those that are in work in low income can also claim universal credit. So um, it's quite a complicated calculation depending on your situation. Um, but it's certainly worth um, looking at that. Hello and welcome to Mothers Matter podcast with me, Claire Pay. This is a podcast that talks about why mothers matter and the things that matter to mothers. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about benefits, um, universal credits largely. It's going to be very England and Wales focused. So to my many listeners in India, hello to you. Um, I'm afraid this probably won't be particularly relevant to you. Uh, but uh, in this episode, we're looking at a deep dive into how you apply for universal credit and what it means for people who are maybe be newly single or um, haven't been able to work or whatever. So we're going to be talking about that. And my guest is Patricia Exley from Citizens Advice in East Hampshire. She's really knowledgeable and really helpful. And we also talk about the other things that you can go to Citizens Advice about, which is basically everything. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Okay, well, Patricia, thank you very much for for being with me today. And I'm uh, this uh, subject I don't really know anything about, um, so I'm going to be coming at it from a sort of genuine inquirer's uh, uh, point of view. Um, so, could you just introduce yourself and say a bit about um, the Citizens Advice Bureau, please? Yes, thanks very much, Claire, for inviting me on. Um, so, my name is Patricia Exley. I'm the District Advice Services Manager in Citizens Advice East Hampshire. Um, so, Citizens Advice is a national organisation, but um, it's delivered locally by individual charities. So, we're all sort of based in, in certain areas. So, I'm in East Hampshire. And... Um, yeah, we give advice on a range of subjects. Benefits is, is clearly our number one subject, but we, we give a range of advice on debt, on housing, employment, consumer law, immigration, pretty much any subject that you might have a, an issue with. And we can at least, if we can't give the advice, we then try and signpost to an organisation that might be able to help better. Um, so what I'm going to talk about today um, is from the point of view of the, the law in England and Wales. Um, and obviously, you'll have listeners from other parts of the country and parts of the world that might not be quite so relevant to, but that's certainly what we'll, we'll focus on today. Um, citizens advice, certainly our local citizens advice is... Um, basically, the, the advice that's given is, is done by volunteers um, so we've got a fantastic team of, of volunteers that do special training to be able to, to help clients to, to resolve the issues that they come to us with. And people can approach us via telephone. Um, there's a web chat service, an email service. And obviously, during coronavirus, our face-to-face -face, um, provision has been somewhat reduced. But we're starting to get back into the offices to give some limited face-to-face -face appointments for those people that really do need to get into an office and see somebody. Um, but we've been operating right throughout lockdown uh, from our homes. And uh, we've been able to help loads of people. So um, hopefully today we'll give you a flavour of, of some of the benefit um, queries that, that mm -hmm. might come up and, and how we can help people to um, either claim the right benefits for themselves or work out what, what their options should be. 
Brilliant. And um, just on the volunteers' point of view, if anyone's interested in being a volunteer, how would they um, go about it? And can you do, you know, time that fits around children and that sort of thing? Oh, absolutely. We're we're always interested in people um, who want to volunteer. You can you can go onto our website and there's a sort of a volunteering button there that you can send in your details and then we can get in touch. If it's obviously if it's East Hampshire, it'll be be us. And if it's um, the local area, there'll certainly be some sort of a um, volunteering role but the citizens advice website citizensadvice.org.uk has a has a volunteering button on that so you can find out for your own area what sort of roles they're looking for brilliant okay thank you very much well um yes what i wanted to ask you about today was uh, really specifically an example of um a, maybe a, a single mother maybe someone who is um Let's assume that she's maybe just recently separated, so she is now single uh, with children, um, maybe someone who's been at home full time, so they don't have any income of their own, uh, in a sort of worst case scenario where they've just had to leave or they've, they've wanted to leave fairly quickly. Um, where would you where would you start with with someone like that? Well, things are a little simpler these days. If you're starting from scratch at this point in time, then um, universal credit would be the the main benefit that we would look at. Um, Universal credit came in a few years ago to replace some of the other means-tested benefits that were around at the time. So they've replaced income support income-based job seekers allowance, employment support allowance, housing benefit and working tax credit and child tax credit. So if you were on those benefits before, then um, it might be best to stay on them. But that's sort of another another query. But if you're, if you're coming fresh to the benefit system now, you cannot apply for those old benefits. So you start off on universal credit. Um, so... Universal credit is mostly run online um, and there's some initial eligibility that you would need to check. Um, If you happen to be in the position of having a bit of savings, if your savings are over £16,000, then you wouldn't be entitled to any benefits until your savings rate gets below that threshold. Um, you need to be a, a, a UK citizen or have the right to live and work in the UK to be able to claim these benefits. And you've got to be under pension age as well. But I, I, I imagine a sort of working age mother, working age people basically from 18 to retirement age would be claiming universal credit. Um, so the majority of people will will do it online. If you're capable of doing it online, you do it online. If you're not capable of doing it online, then you can make a telephone claim. And then the DWP would telephone you every time you needed to um, deal with them. But to apply online, you need to get some information together, like your national insurance number, email address, postcodes and bank details, um, rent amount and tenancy agreement if you're renting somewhere and the amount of your income, savings, capital, um, and if you've got any childcare costs, if you were in work and uh, doing some work already. It's not just a benefit for those out of work. Those that are in work in low income can also claim universal credit. So um, it's quite a complicated calculation depending on your situation, Um, but it's certainly worth um, looking at that. 
So can I just ask at that point, what, um, in terms of the savings rate dropping, uh, is it once you get to sort of £15,999, you become eligible? And is it a sort of straight cutoff or is it um, uh, sort of, um, what's it called? You know, d- d- staggered according to how yeah, much savings so- you got? If you've got savings of between £6,000 and £16,000, there is a reduction, there's a, like a taper in the amount of universal credit that you would be eligible for. Um, so that sta- taper would start at 15999 but obviously you wouldn't get very much at mm. that point. But as your savings decrease, then, then the amount of benefit could increase. And is it an individual benefit? So say you had left your husband, um, but you didn't have savings in your name. Would that count? If you're still married, though, would that count as joint savings? Or how would it be worked out? So so to, to some extent, universal credit doesn't care whether you're married or not. It cares whether you're living as a couple. Mm-hmm. So um, if you're an unmarried couple living in the same property, um, then you will be treated as a couple and you will have to put in a joint claim. But if in the situation you're talking about where it's a married couple that have split, that have separated and are living in different households, then those would be single claims. So it doesn't matter that you're married. Um, it's, it's more a case of who is in the household. Um, okay. And for the joint claims, it will look at the income of both partners to determine what um what the amount is given. Generally, only one of those partners would be paid, but you can ask DWP to pay proportionately if you need that to happen. Okay. Okay, so what happens when you've... um, So you apply online with all the information, and that's basically telling people how much you've got at the moment is it or how much income you've got yeah so once once you make the initial claim online um you'll have to do things like verify your identity and in the pre-covid times um you would have had a, a an interview at the job center with what they call a work coach the first interview would be to do things like verify all the documentation and make sure that you're entitled to it and sign up to a what they call a claimant commitment, which is basically what you agree to do during the time that you're on universal credit. Um, now, if you're, if you're a single parent with children, depending on the ages of your children, you may or may not have to do um, work search. So if you've got a child under one, there will be no requirement to go out and look for work. But once your child gets to three and above, then they are expecting you to go out and work. And in between, there's a certain amount of preparation that they would be expecting you to do in order to to meet the commitment that you sign up to. Um, and with that, sorry, can I just ask on the, if you have a child over one or over three, uh, is there an amount of hours per week you're supposed to be working or is it full time? Um, you can agree that with your work coach. Um, and if your child is under, um, basically under primary school, age, primary school age or under, then you should be able to agree with them to, you know, carry out your work search or your working hours within school hours. So, but it is up to you really to negotiate with the work coach about what is what is realistic for you to do in your own circumstances. And then once you've applied, um, 
for the first month that you've applied, universal credit is paid monthly in arrears, but the first payment doesn't come through for about five weeks because they wait for the first month. They look at any income you've had during that month and then that is used in terms of the calculation. Um, but if you need money to keep it going for those five months, then you can in effect borrow um, from your universal credit award and they call that an advance payment and then you end up paying that back over either 12 or 24 months or, or some other period but up to 24 months. Um, then um, one of the things that universal credit will cover is um, housing costs. If you are renting a property it will cover some or all, depending on where you live and so forth, um, of, of your housing costs. Um, but in many areas, it doesn't cover the full amount of your rent. So it really depends where you're renting, who your landlord is, and what's the size of the property. Oh, so, so how do they work out how much they're going to cover? Well, the government has a, um, a website that gives you what we call the local housing allowance, which is... Um, which is the rate that um, would the maximum rates that could be paid if you're renting in the private rented sector? Um, so here, where I am in Petersfield, we get lumped into the Portsmouth area, which is um, means that many of many of the rents here are above the the level of the local housing allowance. So anybody on benefits that's getting those housing costs will still have to top up their to get their and full rent paid. How would, um, if someone's got no income, how are there other benefits available to top up the universal, to top up the, well, the amount you get from universal credit to pay your housing or do they just expect, are people expected to move somewhere cheaper? There's, there's not much to help you top it up on a regular basis. Um, I mean, the, the benefit system is not a generous system. It's it's a subsistence level, you know, keeping food on the table and hopefully a roof over your head. Each of the local authorities has what they call a discretionary housing payment so that they can potentially give a bit more money depending on circumstances, but it's not the sort of thing that they would want to do on an ongoing basis. So if you find yourself renting somewhere that was too big but needed to move to a smaller place and were actively making um, plans to do that, they may consider topping you up for a while. Um, but then, it's as I say, it's discretionary. So it's up to you to apply to your local authority for that discretionary payment. Okay. Um, yeah. The other thing it's worth possibly talking about is um, the benefit cap mm. <laughs> because depending on the amount of your rent um, you may be capped um, if you are so the, the cap generally comes in if you're not working um, and at the minute it's um, £442 a week in Greater London and £384 a week outside London but there are lots of exemptions as well. And there's a grace period. So if, if a couple is just split up and the other partner was working, um, then there is a grace period before they would apply the benefit cap. Um, the thinking behind that is if you can get yourself into at least some sort of work, then you can get yourself out of the benefit cap situation. Um, we don't have 
I haven't come across that many here locally, but I know in different parts of the country, there's a lots of people, like particularly in London, with, with the rents being so high, where they are um, affected by the amount of benefit that they can receive. So does that mean that they would be eligible for, say, benefit A, B and C under universal credit, but put all together, it reduces it to that cap? Yeah, yeah. So they, they, they end up taking it off the housing element part of universal credit. So with universal credits built up of certain elements. So there's a standard element to start with of the, the basic living costs. And there's one amount for single people and one amount for couples. And then they add on different elements. So you can get some elements for children up to a maximum of two because uh, yeah. the government also has a two-child policy on benefits. So mm -hmm. unless your child was born before the 6th of April 2017, then you're going to be, you're not going to get additional benefits for extra children. Um, and then um, there's extra elements if, if um, you've got disabilities or are unable to work because of illness or sickness. And um, if you've got carer responsibilities, um, that's caring for somebody with a disability who, who is in receipt of a disability benefit. Would, it, would a carer count as someone caring for elderly parents? Would you count as a carer for UC um, purposes? You only count as a carer within the benefit system if the person that you are giving care to has, is in receipt of, of a qualifying benefit, so attendance allowance, personal independence payment, or, um, or the old disability living allowance at, at the, the correct rate. So they need to be receiving that benefit, and then you need to be providing a certain amount of care, and you need to be not earning over a certain amount of money as well. So it gets complicated very quickly, <laughs> as you can imagine. Um, yeah, so if... if, if um... Sorry, you're probably going to carry on. But if someone's going to the, um, so where do they go again? The local authority. Uh, they go to. The, will the person there tell them everything they sh they could apply for, or should they go in knowing everything they could apply for? No. The, so the the local authority will only deal with um, certain benefits. So it's no, there's no point going there. I would suggest you, <laughs> I would suggest you come to somewhere like Citizens Advice or look at one of the online benefit calculators, which is actually quite good. There's, there's sort of three benefit calculators that we would um, recommend that are on our website. This entitled to, which is, I find is probably the easiest for the public to use. It's very clear. Um, Turn to us is also a good calculator, and there's that one at Policy and Practice. I've got an, a benefits calculator. I'll make sure you've got the links to those. But um, basically, if you take yourself through one of these calculators with your own individual circumstances, it will give you an indication of what benefits you might be entitled to. Um, and so universal credit and all the pieces of universal credit are administered by DWP. So that's the online application. Um, what is still administered by the local authority is council tax reduction or council tax support. It's got different names in different areas of the country. Um, so you have to apply for that separately and that's helped towards your council tax bill. Uh, the local authority also do housing benefit for those that were on housing benefit before universal credit came along. So they can still be on housing benefit or if they're over pension age, they can be 
they can get housing benefit from their local authority and the discretionary housing payments that I spoke about earlier, they would be from your local authority. So with the council tax reduction, would that be um, counted as part of your allowance under universal credit or could that be in addition to your cap? That's that, that's separate from universal it's credit. Totally separate. Okay, so you have got. I look at other things you could claw back from anywhere else once you've reached your cap. Um, what other yeah. what other things you could look at to get? Because I could see yourself being in a you know myself being in a situation where you just that's it. You know the the calculator stopped running up, and you think, well, I still have all these bills and everything. You know, yeah. just look yeah. at what else um, people would access. So. Um, Obviously, you should you should be able to get child benefit if you've got children, um, and if if you need to switch that between partners, it is it is possible to do that. So if if one of the couple is not earning money, then it makes sense for them to claim the child benefit. It's even if the other um, so there's the high income charge on child benefit, but even if you're going to have to pay it back in tax. It's still worth making the claim because it protects your national insurance contributions for your pension at a later date. Um, but for for most um, for most families with no sort of disabilities or illnesses, then I would be looking at universal credit, um, child benefit, and council tax support as the main things that they should look at. Um, Obviously, uh, as I said before, if you're already on one of the legacy benefits, then I think the best thing to do would be to get some advice for your particular circumstances, because it's not um, it's not always clear whether you would be better off on universal credit or better off staying on the legacy benefits. I, th I thought everyone was worse off on universal credit or are some people better off? Some people are better off. It really depends okay. on your circumstances. And because of the way earnings are tapered on universal credit, whereas a bit of a cliff edge on the legacy benefits, some people who are working small numbers of hours are better off on universal credit. Oh, yes. Talk, talk about the tapering. One thing that um, we've looked at with Mothers at Home Matter is the marginal uh, METR, what is it, marginal equivalent tax rate, which is... Um, so say you so you've you've started off on your own. You're on your maximum universal credit, uh, but then you get a job which pays five thousand a year, or so. Will the universal credit be reduced by five thousand a year, or by less? No, it's less than that. Um, there's there's some work allowances that you can um, earn before there's any effect on your universal credit, and then once you get past that, there's a sixty three percent taper on on the earnings um so it reduces your universal credit by sort of 63 pence in the pound so it's well it's, how, how much would the work allowance then how much would you be able to earn before you do you know offhand depends <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry it's, answer to a lot of my questions is that depends um it depends on on yeah whether you're getting red support or not <laughs> Um, oh, okay, so some elements of the universal credit would might reduce, and some elements might not reduce. Uh, yeah, this is why we need Citizens Advice Bureau. <laughs> to talk us. Yeah. So if someone was with you, would they, uh, you know, and they say, "This is my situation. I've got this amount in uh, universal credit in housing support of that, and this amount is um, whatever working 
tax credit, although it's not called the working element, uh, would you be able to say, right, this is the amount it'll probably get reduced by? We, we should be able to, to give them the calculations. Yeah, I'll work through a couple of scenarios to, to give them an idea of what, what they're likely to receive. Right. Okay. And we've got, um, we've got a telephone helpline, uh, well, it's telephone and uh, web chat off our website specifically for um, helping to claim universal credit. So if, if you want to, to run through those initial calculations and things like that, um, we have a free phone telephone number. Um, do you want that now? Okay, yes, please. Yeah. 0800 yeah. 144 8444 um, okay. and that that's our help to claim line so if that is specifically for universal credit for the the initial claim up until you get your first payment so any if you've got any problems with any of it um setting up the account or or trying to work out whether you should apply at all in the first place then then do give our advisors a call Okay, and uh, thank you. And then um, just going back to this work that the claimant commitment um, that uh, they have to do, what um, sort of how onerous is it in terms of what do you have to do to prove that you're looking for work? Does it depend? On <laughs> it depends. <laughs> That'll be down to your work coach to uh, agree it with you. Oh, right. So the work coach has authority. Uh, do they, are they given authority by the government to yeah, discuss so the work your coach, situation? Yeah, the work coach will be the person that you deal with in your local job centre. So they'll know a little bit more about your personal circumstances and you can, you know, tailor that, tailor that commitment to what you're going to be able to manage yourself. Would they be looking to replicate the hours you might spend in any job you got? So say we'd expect you to spend four hours a day looking for work. Potentially, yeah. I mean, if you didn't have children, if you're a single person with no other commitments, the, you know, the expectation is that you'll spend 35 hours a week looking for a job. Um, but obviously, if you've got children, then that commitment will be reduced to, to whatever whatever is an appropriate level. Are they like careers advisors? Could they give you advice, do you think? They should be able to give you some advice or point you at particular courses or things like that that might help you get back into the workplace if you've been away for a while. Um, I know someone who was um, going through the system and she was talking to a work coach about what she'd like to do. And uh, the more she spoke, the more she was saying, actually, I'd like to do your job. <laughs> I'd like to be a work coach. I don't think the work coach turned a bit hostile after that. I think she, <laughs> she was worried she's going to lose her job. Um, but uh, it's a, it sounds like an interesting job to have, actually, to, yeah. to help people. They were uh, recruiting know, quite out. a few work coaches recently, actually, with, with really... the whole COVID <laughs> situation. The demand for work coaches has gone up. So, so perhaps there is a career. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's right. It's sort of self-perpetuating, isn't it? The more people are looking for uh, to go on benefits, more people they need help to, to help people uh, to access the benefit system. Yeah. Now, there is there is one thing that the work coaches do have access to that if you are looking for work and um, you need something to enable you to to get that job, they have a, a fund, a flexible support fund within the job centres. It's not terribly well advertised, but, you know, if you needed, I don't know, an interview suit or a pair of shoes for or the bus fare to get to a place of work or an interview um, it's always worth discussing that with a work coach to see whether they've got any any funding that they can 
um, let you have access to. Okay, and and I did you say that it would take about five weeks usually from when you start applying for universal credit to to getting it agreed? Um, five weeks to get the first payment of universal credit. The first payment, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you and that, but you can get the advance. I think I've heard, I've seen threads about people struggling to pay off the advance, but do they just reduce what they're paying you by? that amount or do you have to pay that you get the money and then you pay it back so they generally reduce what you're getting ongoing by by a certain amount so you agree whatever the time period is that you're going to repay this advance and as i say it can now be up to 24 months and that will just be taken off your universal credit amount each month mm -hmm. when you receive it um, are you uh, are you happy to say what you think of the universal credit system? Do you think it is it easier for people to administer and to understand, or is it harder? In some ways, it's easier um, because it's one benefit where we had six before, um, and there are certainly times when um, contacting the the job centre through the journal, the online journal, can be quite easy and effective way to do it. So it's certainly helped. Um, reduce some of the complexities but if you have to phone up the helpline to talk to someone I think it takes just as long as it did on some of the legacy benefits and that's that's where our frustrations lie is getting through to to people that can can help and can resolve problems but for most people if you've gone online to apply for a passport or something like that it's a similar sort of website that you log on to for your universal credit claim. It's got a similar look and feel to many of the gov.uk systems. And um, it's fairly clear to, you know, following it through what it asks you for. Um, when you get your account opened, they have a what they call a journal where you can send messages back and forth to to the work coach or to the, the service manager who's, who's processing the claim. And it will also give you a list of to-dos. So those are things that, information perhaps that you need to provide. Um, so it's, it's that side of things is, I think, fairly easy for most users. There are obviously going to be people who struggle with using online systems at all. And, and those, you know, those are often the ones that we end up helping a bit more because they need that extra support. Could I ask you about uh, things like disability allowance? If there's a, a parent with a child who's born who has some sort of disability, what um, do you know what they could apply for or how that would work? So for, for children, there's a benefit called disability living allowance or DLA. Um, and the, the sort of the the um, idea behind that is if a child needs additional care and support because they are somehow disabled, um, you, you can make that application. It, they will compare the child to a, a child of a similar age who doesn't have disabilities. So you're sort of comparing, you know, obviously a, a, a toddler will need more care than a 15-year-old, but does, does your toddler need more care than the average two-year-old um, is that's the sort of um, questions that you need to ask when you're filling in and those sorts of forms. But yeah, you can you can get disability living allowance. It's it's down to not necessarily the the disease or the illness of what's wrong with the child, but how that affects them and how how much extra care and support and um, supervision they need because of that. 
And is that also means tested? No, no, it's not. Um, okay. So the the disability living allowance and the the equivalent for adults personal independence payment are are all based on um, sort of the, your care and support needs and. Also, um, for PIP, um, there's a mobility component as well. So if, if you can't move around or if you need support moving around, you might get a mobility component to that. Um, but that's, those, are not, those are not means tested at all. Those are more to do with the, the conditions and, and the extra support you need because of that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so what if you're, um, go back to the benefits, though, if you're in a couple... Um, and you both lost your job, say, do you apply for universal credit on a, did you say, on a couple basis? So they'll take both, will, will they give you more because there's two of you as such? Yeah, so if, um, one of the things I haven't covered is this sort of the contribution-based element. Um, so if you have been working recently or if you paid national insurance contributions within the last two years and there's a threshold of how much you need to have paid um, you can apply for the contribution based either um, they're called new style now new style job seekers allowance or new style employment support allowance if you're too ill to actually work um, but if you get those that's sort of deducted from universal credit so the the, the overall total would be the same whether you get these contribution-based elements or not. But as a couple, yeah, you would you would apply as a couple and your joint income and joint savings would be considered in terms of eligibility for universal credit. But, and would they um, allow for two people, though? They, or do they give you one yeah. payment because you're in the same house? As it were? It's one payment, but it's, it's a larger amount than the single person amount. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, what other um, what are the most frequent um, issues that people come to you with for the Citizens Advice Bureau? If we move on, or possibly not, from, from benefits. <laughs> uh, ben benefits is our is our highest, and certainly over the last year, um, universal credit has been a, a large percentage of those benefits um, uh, issues. Also, personal independence payment. So the, the disability benefit for people who, who need that and we can help with applications there. Would, would that apply to people with long COVID and, and that sort of thing? Or is it general a sort of uh, a sort of motor issue that they can't move around? It, it, it doesn't. Um, it's not prescriptive on the on the disease or the or whatever is wrong with you. Um, PIP is, is scored on a number of um, what they call descriptors and you, you score points against various descriptors. So for care things, it include, um, includes things like preparing and eating food, um, managing any medical treatment that you've got, whether or not you can go to the toilet by yourself. Various, there's various of these descriptors. And then similarly on the mobility side, things like how far can you walk safely or do you need aids to do that? So if you score sufficient points on these various criteria then you would be entitled to those benefits. So it doesn't really matter what the illness behind that is. It's more of the effect of that illness on, on your living and whether you need extra extra money for um, you know, either buying in carers or adapting your home or whatever, whatever other aids you might need. And that wouldn't be subject to the universal credit cap? 
no it's not rolled in no no and in Um, fact if you're on disability benefits um you then may get excluded from the benefit cap oh okay so these these sorts of little areas are where it gets a little bit more complex any anything else that people generally talk to you about do people come to you with consumer questions and you know toasters that have caught fire yeah yeah they do um housing landlords not repairing when they should or being evicted employment issues we had a lot of employment issues um over the last year with furlough coming in and and rules changing um so i think over the past year after benefits employment's been the next biggest topic that we've dealt with has that been people what people who've been put on furlough or haven't been put on furlough and think they should be on furlough yeah yeah both of those (laughs) (laughs) any of those um people lost their jobs and not had all their wages paid or um working out how to raise a grievance if if things haven't been done the correct way in in the office and that sort of thing so there's a whole range of a whole range of issues so do you have a, a legal team working with you as well or or do you point people to because uh, because there'll be various laws that I guess you'd be aware of that people might not be might not know exist. Yeah, um, we we all all our volunteers have some some basic training in in um, in the law. We use the citizens' advice have provided us with a very comprehensive sort of database of information that we can use. Beyond that, it depends on the individual local citizens' advice as to what what other facilities they have here in East Hampshire we've got very good relationships with some of the local solicitor firms who who will um and certainly in in the past they came into the offices now they're doing it by telephone do some some free sessions for us for clients that specifically need that legal help although that's that's clearly limited by by their generosity but but it's useful to have um so we got some family law solicitors and some generalist solicitors that will will give us some pro bono time Mm. Um, and also I suppose travel have you had any issues with people have people come to you because their holidays have been cancelled or they haven't got their money back do they they come to you as well (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) any problems pretty much any problem you could think of I'm sure we've had it through yes through the phones the emails or yes Yes. yeah we we have uh, travel particularly when when lockdown first happened and and a lot of there were a lot of cancellations and people unsure of what to do i guess these you know at the moment we're all a bit uncertain about whether we can have holidays so it's a little bit buyer beware um yes. booking things now yes oh yes um and i suppose the other thing that we hear a lot about is um coercive control or sort of relationship issues could people come to you for advice if they're in a relationship where they they're worried that um that there might be some coercive control going on yeah yeah they they could yeah we can give them some some initial advice and some things to think about there we would also probably signpost them onto or refer them directly if necessary onto other agencies um that that deal more with with victims of domestic violence and can can provide that longer term support if it's needed or to um We've got one agency locally that will help with getting things like emergency injunctions if those are needed as well. So there are different um, different sorts of support out there and we would try and make sure that we've directed it towards whatever is most appropriate. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I'm coming up with all these problems now. And <laughs> just go back to the sort of rent side. Would you help if someone, lo- it looks like someone's about to become homeless or be evicted or if they are homeless for even not paying the mortgage or something, could they, they come and ask? Would you be able to, again, signpost them to organisations that can help? Yes, yes, we would, yeah. yeah. So if if it's if it's an eviction situation, um, then it's usually the local authority that will have the homeless duty, but we would make sure that either they get themselves there or that they've got enough information to be able to present at the local authority if that's the right place to be. Um, we we don't deal with quite so many mortgage arrears as we do rent arrears generally, but we can we can help with both certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, Brilliant. Um, who fu- who funds the Citizens Advice Bureau? Because I know you're volunteers, but there there, are, there must be overheads as well. Yes. Yeah. Well. Well, I'm I'm paid staff, but there are there are um, lots of volunteers, and we've dropped the bureau a long time ago. We're citizens uh, advice. It's just citizens advice. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about it's, that. It's, it's felt that bureau was a little bit old-fashioned, but. Um, Funding comes from a variety of sources, and each each local citizens' advice will have um, have its own funding models. Here in East Hampshire, a large part of our funding comes from East Hampshire District Council, so the local authority, um, and we get money from town and parish councils. We get some from Hampshire County Council and Citizens Advice Hampshire, and we get some through specific projects from Citizens Advice nationally as well. So it's it's a, a mix of um, different funders, and there's a couple of sort of private individuals as well. So um, brilliant. Well, it's it's very worthwhile. Well, thank thank you so much for uh, your time and your insight, and it's it's really great to know that you exist. I think it's a you know for someone who's in a, a really difficult situation and their brains all befuddled uh, is really your really the first port of call aren't you we are yes yeah I can, can I just before I go I'll give you our mm. national citizens advice helpline so the first the number I gave you earlier was specifically for universal credit um, mm-hmm. and the the national number for for anything else really is 0800 144 8848 okay um and that's, I mean, that's usually nine to five, Monday to Friday. It's not a 24-hour helpline. Um, but uh, it covers mm. most of, most of certainly England. Yes, yes. Brilliant. Oh, well, that's, that's brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. I'm, I'm sure there are all sorts of questions will occur to me afterwards. But um, if anyone listening has any questions, they could just phone, <laughs> phone the number and, uh, and, and ask them. It's, it's good to know that there are people who exist who you can ask who will at least know the next steps for you to take. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I really appreciate that, Patricia. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much, Claire. It's been great to talk to you today. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that podcast with Patricia Exley. Thank you very much to her. Um, In the show notes, I'm going to put a lot of the links so that you can um, follow up with any of them if you like. So I just wanted to talk about a few other things. Um, In the press, I keep noticing that whenever there's some interview with a mother, usually a famous person who happens to be a mother, they always focus on uh, how difficult it is being a mother. The title's always something like, My Struggles with Being a Mother, or... (laughs) 
why I can't cope with being a mother or anything like that. It never seems that you never get something saying, I love being a mother or being a mother is just brilliant. I know it's difficult, but it's really worth it, which um, would be a very long title. Uh, it's, just, it's just interesting. I mean, I know that no one wants to hear that, um, you know, your friend over there is has got three brilliant children and they're all so well behaved and uh, she never struggles at all. But at the same time, I do wonder whether why it is that the narrative around motherhood is always so negative. Um, it's a real shame. But one thing I do um, agree with is uh, there was a, a thread going through the papers the other day by uh, uh, talking about Ben and Marina Fogel talk about angry parenting. And uh, I think Marina Fogel, she has her own podcast. And um, uh, apparently she talked about in there about how she sometimes gets cross with her children, which I, I don't think personally is headline news, but um, apparently it is. And uh, so I read this article they had uh, in the Times that, you know, their guide to angry parenting. But when when you read it, it's actually only very natural parenting. I mean, we're we're all naturally going to get wound up by our children and uh, maybe lose our tempers, which is, you know, losing your temper is not a good thing. But it is natural to lose your temper from time to time. And I'm always encouraged by something I read ages ago. Someone sent it to me about uh, empathy and people in prison and how they are uh, less likely to feel empathy. And uh, partly they say if you've grown up in the care system, you're working with people who are very professional. Well, you're great. You're growing up with people who are generally very professional, who don't really respond naturally that, you know, they, they're not allowed to get really cross and stomp out and slam the door. Um, so uh, these children never really see the effects of their behaviour on people around them. And I think, I like to think <laughs> that when I've got cross with my children, it's really um, shown the effect of their behaviour, that they can have an effect on me and they can wind me up. Um, and I might lose my temper. And of course, apologising afterwards and uh, saying, you know, I really wanted to remain calm, but I was unable to because you were so annoying or whatever you might say, uh, I think is very helpful. So I do agree with um, that, it, that it's OK to get angry from time to time. Uh, that's the emotion. I guess what you do with the emotion is the issue and uh, and how you respond to it. And I think also accepting that our children might get angry and fed up and cross with us is natural as well. And I think, well, I, I know I can be annoying. So I, I think, um, you know, anger is, is something that if it's managed well, um, can be very positive in, uh, in a, uh, you know, a parenting relationship. Uh, obviously, you have to be careful and no abuse and, and that sort of thing. But it's just a natural outworking of the fact that the child, your child just won't do what you've asked them to do, even though you've asked them 25 times. Uh, I just wanted to recommend a couple of other podcasts I've been listening to. I've just found one called All the Hacks. And I was listening to one, All the Hacks, listening to one about travel hacks. Uh, and that was really interesting about, um, I think it's very much aimed at the American market where they're extremely good at customer service. But um, talking about if you've booked a hotel, try to book direct and try and contact the hotel before you go. And then they'll get to know you a little bit and might give you an upgrade or anything like that. Anyway, it's a really good podcast. He said he's quite new to doing podcasts. So I'd like to give him a shout out. 
And then um, some of you may have come across, um, it's a Christian podcast, it's Leadership Conversations with Nicky Gumbel. Um, and he was interviewing Rick and uh, Kay Warren. Uh, Rick is the founder of a, a mega church in the States and writer of, um, I think it's The Purpose Driven Life. I should probably have checked that before I recorded this. Anyway, a very um, massively selling book. Uh, tragically, their um, son had mental health issues and uh, eventually took his own life. And so they they talk in this particular podcast about the pain of loss and how to build resilience. But one thing I found, well, I found it all really interesting and, and really sad. But one thing that Kay said was, um, in terms of the people who were comforting her, that often they they would just be with her. You know, they weren't. There was nothing you could say. There's nothing anyone can say if. Um, you know, in some of these terrible circumstances, particularly if your child has taken their own life. I mean, what? there's nothing There's nothing to say. But she said, actually, the, the greater the pain, the less the comforter should say. And that Job, if you know your Bible, Job's comforters did very well for the first seven days when they sat with him and, and didn't say anything. It only went wrong when they started talking. So I thought that's a really interesting nugget that, um, you know, that if someone's really in pain, emotional pain and suffering, uh, there's probably nothing you can say. But being with them, obviously, is really important. So that's um, a couple of podcasts I've been listening to. Uh, right. So thank you again for listening. Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook as Mothers Matter Podcast and on Twitter very occasionally. I'm a bit nervous of Twitter. Um, I'm at Podcast Mothers. Um, if you'd like to email me, I'm on mothersmatter at outlook.com. And uh, please, if you've enjoyed the podcast, perhaps you could mention it to a friend or two. But don't worry, just listen and move on with your life. And I'll be back again with another podcast soon. Bye. Bye.